Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about the the word religion again. We've talked about it before, but I've written another article, which is going up on News with Views shortly. That article is part two of our discussion on religion. And today we look out in the world, and, and actually I've done four programs this week on... Uh, this new author, Aslan, who wrote this book, The Zealot, which is, uh, uh, I see a lot of people talking about it. Uh, it's all uh, wild in the media. Things have gone viral uh, on interviews with him, supposedly. I believe this is all just orchestrated, uh, partially by Aslan to sell books. But also there is creeping ideas that are coming into existence. I, I, I recently heard about laws in Texas that are actually uh, saying that you cannot be hired for a government job if you have ever promoted the traditional idea of marriage. As if somehow or other that excludes you from employment which is, of course, religious discrimination because the idea that the traditional view of marriage is not right is the new religion of society. I mean, that is the new politically correct thinking of society. And uh, they they don't want to... You know, nobody said you couldn't have jobs uh, before if you wanted to have a gay marriage. I mean, maybe way back in the past that so- something like that existed, but that was considered bigotry. That was considered discrimination. And so that was removed. But now the very people that wanted that removed are applying that to people who believed in the traditional view of marriage, which uh, is just amazing that people make that leap. And of course, in my journey of being an iconoclast, uh, exposing what uh, other people have accepted as the truth, which is really a lie, uh, I am often accused of doing the exact thing that everybody else is doing that might... If someone is accusing you of something, especially with a a great deal of uh, uh, venom and emotion, it is very likely that they are guilty of the very thing that they are accusing you of. You know, the ad hominem kind of approach, you know, where they start accusing you of ad hominems because you disagree with them. And you want to talk about the issue, but they want to call you names, like, and infer that somehow or other you're calling them names. In reality, you're just saying you're wrong, and that's all you're saying. And uh, uh, 
they they distract from the arguments, the actual discussion. And of course, that's what we see with Mr. Oslan is that they're they're distracting from the content of what he is supposedly putting in the book, which is uh, much of it is just absolutely absurd. You know, the idea that Jesus was a zealot. There were four different groups, political groups, factions at the altar. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and there were the Essenes, and there was the Zealots. And, of course, that particular list, there were others as well, but these are the major lists, were written down and explained by a historian who actually was alive at that time, which was Josephus. And he he lists these four sects or groups or political thinking at that time. And if you look at what Jesus taught and what Jesus was doing and what John the Baptist was doing, none of that, that lines up with what the zealots were doing, like the Sakari zealots who were going around stabbing people if uh, they found out they were gay or if they found out that they were violating the Torah. Uh, they would sneak up on them in the middle of the night and stab them and uh, gut them. And that was the kind of, uh, uh, of course, that was the extreme zealot. There were other zealots who were not quite that extreme. But the zealots were not baptizing people. Now, the Pharisees were washing up at the laver before they entered the temple. But the only ones who were really doing this whole baptism in rivers and water, etc., were the Essenes. And, of course, Jesus Christ and John the Baptist were doing that, too. So, if you're going to line them up with somebody, you would have to line them up with the Essenes. I'm not saying that Jesus was an Essene. I'm just saying he certainly wasn't a zealot. Nothing. Over and over again, he's talking about forgiveness, and he's talking about uh, being a peacemaker. He does make a reference to he brings a sword. But he is, that sword is a sword of division. He's dividing the goats from the sheep, the, the wicked from the righteous. He is, is not following the ways of the zealots. He's not leading his people to the top of Mossad after they've gone and annihilated women and children in Jedi, which is why they fled to uh, uh, Mossad, was that they had just committed a crime. Uh, they were even referred to as robbers. And so the idea that, and, you know, he makes huge leaps in his logic. And we won't go into that because I just, like I said, done four shows on that. And those will all be available through the Living Network uh, in the days ahead. But uh, what we were going to talk about today is uh, our, our modern dilemma of this thinking, moving whole societies over in a particular direction of thinking that is actually kind of scary, you know, because we see anyone who's a good student of history sees that this whole progressive socialist anti-religion, religion, which is what we're seeing, see, that religion has been reduced to what you believe, what you think. It used to be how you took care of the needy of your society, but... And which we've covered in the previous shows on this in, in the first article, that uh, religion was how you fulfilled and performed your duty to God and your fellow man, which would be taking care of the needy of your society. 
you know, providing justice, providing care when necessary, uh, when somebody really falls on hard times. Not, I'm not talking about the people who are just lazy and don't want to work, but I'm talking about somebody who's really struggling, striving, and uh, things just don't go right, and they need help. And religion was how you took care of those needy. And, of course, the religion of Moses, the religion of Abraham, the religion of John the Baptist, the religion of Jesus Christ was all rooted in the foundation of faith, hope, and charity. It was all free will offerings, free will offerings, free will offerings. Now, Jews today, they're all, I mean, even in Israel, they're all signed up with social welfare systems that are not based on free will offerings, but on forced offerings. You can go to jail if you don't pay in to their welfare. And that welfare extends from not only the people that are indigent or, you know, become sick or ill or hard times, but it's, it's everybody. I mean, your public school systems, it's all socialism. It's all welfare. It's all, you know, forcing your neighbor to pay for your child's education at the point of a gun. And that's all accepted today. It's a covetous idea. It, you know, it's coveting your neighbor's goods. I mean, you're voting to, you know, have a pool put in at the school or, or to get a new wing put on your hospital or whatever it is. And you're, do, you're saying, I want to force my neighbors, because we all have one purse now, and I want to force my neighbors to pay for what I want at the school. I want, uh, you know, a new art program or whatever it is. And so you up the ante. Or you elect men who will up the ante and increase the taxes on your neighbor so that you can have a nicer school. And it, there's some beautiful schools out there. But it's based on covetousness. And that's all accepted today in Judaism. It's accepted today in Christianity. It's accepted today in uh, even Hinduism. And, uh, and the Muslims accept it. But Moses didn't accept it. Moses rejected it. He he wanted you to live by free will offerings. And uh, you had a better idea. You wanted to elect a king who would exercise authority. Even though you were told that if you do this, uh, he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take. And whether you're talking a king or Congress or a Sanhedrin, you're creating a form of government that can take away from your neighbor so that you can have what you want, which is your benefits, you know. You're looking privately for the, cleverly, for the blood of your neighbor because you want to force your neighbor to take care of your social welfare needs. And this is, this is absolutely acceptable in the minds of most people who think they're Christians. They think they're following Christ. They think they believe in Christ. They think... They are religious. Well, they are religious. They have the religion of the Pharisees, who thought the same thing, that produced this system of Corbin to Herod the Great, that forced the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of their society. And it, it built a great golden temple. You know, that's where Herod got all his funds. There was no big temple till he built it. And, and, of course, he didn't just build the temple in Jerusalem. He built the temple of Roma also because he used this. This is a good moneymaker. You've got lots of money flowing in when you set up these social welfare systems like that. And this has all been accepted by modern Christians and modern Jews and modern Muslims and modern... Whatever religion you go into, 
they think that's okay. But it's coveting your neighbor's goods. And it's absolutely in opposition to what God believes is right. Now, he allows you to create such institutions, just like he allowed you the voice of the people to elect Saul. He allowed the voice of the people to elect FDR. He allowed the voice of the people to elect LBJ. He allowed the, whoever your president or your prime minister is today, he allows you to elect that guy. And we should expect that guy will eventually take and take and take and take and take. And he, you know, he'll get us involved in land wars in Asia and, <laughs> and in the Middle East and, and thousands of our children will, uh, sons will be put in harm's way. And now even our daughters in harm's way because their daughters are now in the military. And, you know, they'll be exposed to Agent Orange and then DU and, and if you don't, that's depleted uranium. And they'll come back sick and ill and dying. And you'll just keep going to church singing. And you'll think, hey, I got Jesus. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. But you're actually one of those workers of iniquity that Christ talked about. And you have rejected God. And you don't want to have anything to do with God. But you got your religion. You got what you think religion is. Because your real religion is run through the social welfare offices in, uh, you know, England, Australia, Canada, whatever it is. Uh, where men who exercise authority one over the other collect money from your neighbor so that you can have benefits. And, and the funny thing is, I guess it's not really that funny, I guess it's tragic, absolutely tragic, is that all these systems are bankrupt today. You know, New Zealand, Australia, they're all bankrupt. The United States is bankrupt. Social Security is bankrupt. But they're, they're still out there applying for benefits. And so who's paying for it if they don't have any money? Well, they're borrowing it from your children and your grandchildren. See, so you're cursing. Your, it used to be considered a curse. Debt was a curse. And so every time you take one of those benefits, you're cursing your children and your grandchildren and your neighbor's grandchildren. Because they're going to have to pay that back. You know, you're you're worried about the Congress not balancing the budget, but you're not balancing your budget. You're you're depending now. Now, you know, I understand a lot of old people out there, and they're going to say, "Oh, well, you know, I have to give up my Social Security." I didn't say you had to give it up. I'm just telling you what's happening. I'm just telling you what's going on. I don't want you to starve to death. You're in Egypt. You know, welcome to Egypt. You're back in bondage. And uh, and they're still giving you benefits. And if you don't have some, many of you, if you don't have those benefits, I know a pastor who doesn't need to take his Social Security, but his kids are insisting that he takes it. Because <laughs> they owe it to you. Who owes it to them? They don't owe you anything. You're still going to them and applying to them to take away from your children and your grandchildren. But his children and his grandchildren don't mind because they know that your children, your grandchildren are going to help their children pay this back. And they also are just ignorant. They don't understand how the system works. They think, well, you paid into it. You have a right to take out. But there is nothing there to take out. So they're taking out of their the pockets of their children and their grandchildren. And they're, they're all skipping down this primrose path, this the yellow brick road to destruction. And they don't even get it. 
They don't get it. And why? Because the pastors are ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not preaching the gospel. They're preaching what you think saves you. You know, if you think a thought, you think the right thought, and you say the right magic words, you're saved. You're saved by what you think and what you say. Not what you do, you see, because they remove what you do. It's not important. And, of course, you're not saved by what you do, but what you do is evidence of whether you actually believe. You actually have faith in the real Christ. Because there's a lot of fake Christs out there that they talk about that aren't the real Christ. And see, what the real Christ was doing was setting up a social welfare system based on love. That simple. That was the religion of Christ. He wasn't a zealot. He, he, he was uh, someone who believed in the revolutionary idea that you could take care of one another out of love. And you didn't need to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's a revolutionary... Most people don't believe that's possible. Most people who think they're Christians today don't think that's possible. But that's the religion of Jesus Christ. That's the religion of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is really a great example. And there was no better man, according to Jesus, than John the Baptist. And he was saying, you know, if your neighbor had a need, share. I mean, that's, that's really simple. It's not complicated. But that's not how you take care of the needs. You take care of the needs of your society by applying to men who exercise authority, one over the other. And Christ said it wasn't to be that way with you. So if it is that way with you, you're not following Christ. That was one of the interesting things. Mr. Aslan, he says he's a follower of Christ. No, he's not. He's not. He doesn't even know he's not. He probably thinks he's a follower of Christ. He's, he's a progressive socialist. You know, he's supported by progressive socialists, you know. But he's just an example. I don't want to pick on the poor guy. He's just as delusional as most of you out there who think you believe in Jesus and are, are praying at the altars of men who exercise authority one over the other so that you can have free education and free health care and free benefits and all that stuff. And I know some of you say, I don't want those things. I don't want to be a part of that Babylonic system. But that doesn't make you a follower of Christ. See, <laughs> that's the amazing thing. It doesn't make you a follower of Christ. It making you follow Christ is that you're creating the system that Christ was creating, the system that John the Baptist was creating. You see, when they got baptized, they were cast out of that system of Herod. We know that from the quotes in John about the parents of the blind man. And you can go look it up. But uh, they were cast out of that system. So they had to have another system in place. And, and we see them talking about it right away with Acts, a daily ministration of what? Of religion! of how we take care of the needy of our society. It's being neglected. Why? Because we're not organized. We're not working together. You know, we're starting a new course here shortly. It's for only for people who are on the Living Network. So you can go to thelivingnetwork.org. And we have... I've put uh, documents that we wrote many years ago, took to Washington, D.C., and, and we had some of the top legal minds in the United States... You know, it costs us tens of thousands of dollars out of pocket to have this all reviewed by some of these top people. Because this, we, we discovered what the early church was doing. And we said, well, is this legal to do today? How was Christ setting men free? 
Because the church established by Christ is still around. It's just kind of invisible because all these other fake churches that are up there that you're going to on Sunday and Sabbath that aren't really preaching what Jesus preached or what Moses preached or what Abraham preaches. You know, this is radical stuff. I'm sorry, but you guys are delusional. And this is why you're in the dilemma that you're in. But anyway, we took that and we're going to start this course shortly. And you can only take the course, uh, the beginnings of the course. And the course is going to be expounded upon and built upon. And we'll have a regular uh, educational system. We have other websites besides hisholychurch.org. And, and we have people standing by ready to help guide you through all this and show you for free. You know, we don't have the $2,000 ahead seminars or the $200 ahead seminars or the $2 ahead seminars. We actually are working on faith, hope, and charity basis. So you don't have to pay anything, but you can't take the course unless you're a part of the Living Network because you're going to need help in overcoming some of the uh, uh, delusions that you have, you know, and we're we're getting good at it. We're real iconoclasts. We come in there and we smash those delusions. And we've done our homework. So uh, we're going to be sharing a lot of that information on that course. So it will be up to you as to whether you want to join us at thelivingnetwork.org and join the network and be a part of that. But anyway, in this article that I've got coming out on News with Views, which is a real iconoclastic article, and tells you that, you know, religious don't, and anti-religious and non-religious don't understand the word religion as it was used in the Bible. Don't understand the religion, the word, uh, as it was used in uh, the Constitution. You know, and when we read in Amendment 1, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for the redress of grievance. What government? Now, there's a word. In, in Article 3, in, in Part 3, we're going to address this word government. Because you say the government, you think, well, that's the United States government or the state government or the county government. No, it's not. It's whatever is governing you. And although for the United States Constitution and the government that it created, the Constitution was the supreme law of the land. It was the branch on which the United States was built. But there are other branches out there. There are other forms of government. These are multi-jurisdictional areas in the world today. And even more so. And this is, this is one of the amazing things, you know, at the time of Rome. You could be a member of almost any government throughout Rome. The Roman Pax Romana. And you would actually get an ID card, a titleist, from your government that says, uh, I'm, I'm with this government. I'm with that government. And, and they mentioned the church had such an uh, ID. And they called it the Logos. That's right. It's actually mentioned in the Justinian Codes. So if you were a Christian, you could show this Logos. 
But there was something else that was going on at that time, and from time to time, and this caused persecution, is uh, they were outlawing foreign religions. Now, they just recently did this in uh, Egypt. And we'll tell you more about how they did that when we get back after the break. But we have to watch it. Every time we use words like religion, what definition are we applying to that religion, that that word? Uh, what you're used to thinking, see, you're going to keep slipping back into thinking that religion is what I think. And it's not. It's religion is the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That's what it was at the time of the Constitution, and we'll tell you more about that when we come back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I said that I would uh, show you how foreign religions have been outlawed in Egypt. And uh, this, is, this is a pattern you're going to see all over the place. And, uh, you know, it's going to be bringing in huge persecutions. And you're not ready for those persecutions because you haven't been doing what Christ said. Even though many of you should not line up with those persecutions, we're seeing, and we mentioned at the beginning of the show how they're passing laws, that if you once promoted the traditional definition of religion, which is not just traditional, it's been the definition of religion for you know thousands of years, which is one man, one woman. If you, you actually think something that crazy, you can't get a job in Texas. At least that's the intent. You're not going to be allowed to work as an employee in the government office in Texas. It's amazing. You know, where, how did they, uh, aren't they thinking at all? Well, of course they're not thinking at all. They're zombies. They don't think. Zombies don't think. They just go about devouring who they will. And this is the spirit that you see growing up in the beast today, is to go around and devour who they will. I mean, they, they claim they want rights. They have rights and oh, they need protection, but they have no intention of protecting anybody else's rights. They have every intention of destroying. You know, they're full of hate and anger. These are the kinds of people who bring bags of feces and uh, urine to a debate on abortion. They're not interested in reason or, or rights. They're interested in power. The spirit is there. You know, they, they shout you down. They scream at you. They they lie. They do all these things. And they're going to do those things. But what what is your defense against that? You have to be willing to see the truth, the whole truth, and prepare for it. And this, of course, is what John the Baptist was doing and what Jesus Christ was teaching, what the apostles were establishing through faith is the alternative. This is what the church was. It was the alternative. You know, so we should not fear and, and out of fear gather together. But we need to understand that there's, there is something to be afraid of. But only if we will not repent and turn around and go the way that Christ actually said to go, which the churches today are not doing. They're just, you know, skipping down their yellow brick road. And they think they're saved. 
but they are actually workers of iniquity. Anyway, Christ talks about that, that many people would think that they're saved and think that they're doing things in the name of Christ and they're actually workers of iniquity. So why are we so surprised? It's just a little discomfortable or uncomfortable for us to admit that we're one of those delusional guys. (laughs) But those of you who have it in your heart to realize that love is really love and is not force, and the kingdom of heaven doesn't operate by force, it's established by love, what's the big deal? Okay, so you've been deceived. It's only by the grace of God that you're even going to begin to wake up now. And when we offer you to be a part of this living network, the livingnetwork.org, and we offer you to be a part of that, it's just an offer. You don't have to. You can just keep on going down the yellow brick road. But if you want to change, you want to turn around, we understand you're going to need some help. You're going to need some, you know, extra education, some extra time and time. And we got people now who want to spend that time. They actually care about you as much as they care about themselves. And, and they want to do that more, and they want to teach you how to do that so that you can help them teach others. So that's all we're doing. We're not starting a new religion. We're getting back to the religion that Christ was talking about. Back to the religion that was actually fairly prominent in America 250 years ago. It, it's It had to be because... Thing, life was so hard at times, if you didn't have that religion, you died. And of course, that's that's going to be the separation of the goats and the sheep in the future, is that if you don't get the religion of Christ, you're going to die. And your children are going to die. It's going to be horrible. And I'm sorry. I can't, I can't stop the tide from coming in. What I, I'm trying to do is teach you how to walk on water, uh, which is follow the ways of Christ. So, in the article I write, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. And that's what we have to do. But we have to be diligent. We have to strive. We have to seek to follow the ways of Christ by seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God. And you're not going to get that right unless you actually take back those responsibilities. So anyway... um, I also uh, quote, uh, someone suggested that I quote in the article, uh, something you actually hear on several of the stations that I'm, I'm heard on, and uh, I hear it in their commercials. It says, uh, it's actually quoting President John F. Kennedy at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel back in uh, April 27, 1961. And he says, without debate, without criticism, no administration, no country can succeed. No republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And of course it is a crime. I don't want anybody passing a law like that. But the reality is that if you shrink, if you hide, if you are timid, if you bury your talents in the ground, you're committing a crime and you will be punished I don't have to make a law to punish you. You will be punished because of your neglect. And Christ points this out with this story of the guys with the three denarii, two denarii, and one denarii. And the guy with the one just buried it. And it was taken from him and given to another. And the one that had the three was given many more. So what are you doing with what you got? You need to turn around 
and do things different. But I, uh, I want you to understand this idea of these duties that is pure religion. This duty that is pure religion is how you take care of your needs. So this is what the church should be doing. It's what it used to be doing is taking care of the needy. And there are lots of great ways to do that and organize yourselves and still remain a free church. And this is what we talk about in the book Free Church Report. But like I said in this new course, we're going to be filling in some of the blanks that are actually only referenced in the footnotes. And we're only going to be doing that for those people who belong to the Living Network. And actually, in the future, we're going to be opening more information up to those people who are actually forming congregations of record and are actually taking care of one another at least a little bit. You know, like we admit you have to do baby steps. You can't just jump from one system to the other. But if you just don't want to be a part of the world system, that is not going to cut it. You have to be a part of Christ's system, which is a very free place to be because it operates by the perfect law of liberty. Cecil B. DeMille's, I quote him again in the article, are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? This battle continues throughout the world today. And it does. And of course, the answer in most cases is that men are the property of the state. They are human resources and they are... Uh, actually owned like they were in the bondage of Egypt. So, we have to do what Moses was doing, which is what John the Baptist was preaching, which is what Christ established in order to get out of Egypt. Is that we have to return to the ways of caring for one another, taking care of one another, without those government benefits. And that's not going to be a cold turkey thing yet for most people. It's going to be turning around and seeking this other way of operating by faith, hope, and charity. And that's what your churches should be doing. And they should be doing that in a lot of different ways. And they're not. They're they're actually singing you to sleep. They're lulling you into a false salvation where you are not doing the will of God. You're not doers of the word. And you're actually hearers only and, and you don't even hear it very clearly and you're not following Christ. Just like that Mr. Aslan. He's not following Christ. And we we go into the fact that this this word faith used to be defined as probity, which is good faith is the very soul of contracts. The faith also signifies the confidence, belief, and full faith and credit ought to be given to the acts of those who have the right to judge. And those that used to have the right to judge in America were the juries. They don't anymore. Because really juries require freemen and there are no freemen. And I know there's a lot of guys out there claiming to be freemen. But you really, I I really haven't ever met somebody who was really a freeman. That may not be entirely true. There have been a few people wandering around that I've met, you know, who never was a part of any system. And they, you know, they're in their 40s. They they actually have been living in between the cracks for a long time. And there are some young people that are not a part of the system, but we've all been tainted by this sin of looking to men to provide us with the benefits of society by force. 
there are very few of us, very few of us, that have ever not been a part of that in any way whatsoever. But that's okay because Christ has provided a way. But you have to actually follow that way, walk in that way. And so uh, this probity that faith used to be defined as probity is defined as justice, honesty. A man's a man of probity is one who loves justice and honesty and who dislikes the contrary. And so he's going to be somebody who cares about your rights as much as he cares about his own. And he's going to be working diligently, striving diligently to protect your rights in every aspect. And that's not what I see out there in many of the patriot movements and freedom movements and sovereignty movements. I see guys out there interested in being free, not in protecting anybody else's freedom. And in order to do that, one of the evidences of that is that you actually start practicing pure religion. You start taking care of the needy of your society, unspotted by the world, not depending upon the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of the world. And the word world there, of course, is constitutional order or system of government. It's not the world that might mean planet or the, the word that might mean age. It means the word that means government. So you're, you're going to become self-governed, self providing these benefits. And this is what the Living Network and our congregations of record is simply free assemblies. Free assemblies, not associations or any of those things where people actually come together and try to work together to be independent and not be a burden to their neighbor. You know, that's what we're promoting here. We're not promoting anything anti-government. Every homeschooler who still pays their taxes, their property taxes, and even if you're renting, you're paying property tax, that goes to finance the schools, is doing those schools a favor because their children aren't taking up space. It allows them to educate their, or, or brainwash their the state children, <laughs> if we can use that word, brainwash instead of educate, with, with less expense. Because you've taken back the responsibility of educating your children. Now, they're not going to like that. Eventually, they're going to try to outlaw that entirely, as they have in many countries already. Because they don't want to have parallel societies. But that's what Christ was teaching is a parallel society. So you need to get on the boat with that right away. And I know a lot of you may think that you can't homeschool your children. But if you were in congregations of people that cared about your children as much as their own, you could help each other and you could homeschool your children, you see. You could become health, education, and welfare. You could become the FEMA of your society. We use that word FEMA all the time, but for us it means Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary. And that's what the church was. And so that's what you have to get back to. And that's pure religion. Undefiled before God is to be taking care of those needs of your society through faith, hope, and charity. And I don't care if you were a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or whatever. That's where you're coming from. If you want to follow Christ, that's what you have to do. You have to start taking care. You know, if your neighbor has a need, you have to fulfill that need through faith, hope, and charity. That's it. That's it. That's as simple as that. That's religion. That's pure religion. Now, there's another religion that's not pure religion, that's actually wicked religion, 
And that's where you take care of those needs through force. And this is this divides you between the goats and the sheep, between the followers of Christ and the followers of John the Baptist and even the followers of Moses and Abraham and the rest of the world. So th- this is it. That's it. That's simple. But it's not so simple to do because it actually requires you to do a little soul searching and sacrificing. It needs you to learn how to dance with a community. And that's going to require forgiveness and patience and all these other Galdern virtues that we're in such short supply of. But practice makes perfect. So, you know, that's what religion was, is the performance, the practice of taking care of the needy of your society. And you guys are really out of practice. So you're going to have to do a lot of turning around to go the other way. So in any case, this idea that faith is belief without evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel is really the actual word-by-word definition of the devil. Because it's right out of the devil's dictionary. Did you know the devil had a dictionary? It was published originally in 1911. But they say belief is without evidence, but really, the faith, if faith is the duty, the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, then faith is the evidence. In other words, the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man is the evidence that you believe in Christ. You see? See, if you change faith to mean what you think, then it becomes invisible. But faith is not invisible. Faith is visible. It is the fruits of your faith that we're looking for. And the fruits of your faith is the fact that you are actually taking care of the needy of your society. Now, I know many of you who go to these regular churches that are, are preaching a false gospel. Uh, and, and it's usually a handful of people in every church are like this. They're real doers. I mean, they show up, they help, they show up every time there's an event, they they work, they care about other people, they hear about people needing help, they'll go out and uh, build their chicken coop, or they'll they'll bring extra food, and they'll share, and they always want to share. That's kingdom tracks. Those are the Christians. The rest of these guys are just going along for the ride. You know, first ones uh, to show up at uh, mealtime and the first ones to leave when it's time to do the dishes. Those aren't Christians. They don't have much of Christ in them. Christ was actually, he probably washed the dishes. We know he washed the feet. Now it's supposed to be even a dirtier job than washing the dishes. And he's showing you that this is the nature of the church and the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Now we see occasionally, we'll see uh, ministers uh, do the feet washing ceremony, <laughs> but it's they take pride in their humility. <laughs> it's kind of defeating the purpose if you're going to take pride in your humility. But uh, you know, I don't want to pick on everybody, but I am an iconoclast, so I have to give you a hard time. But those of you who want to turn around and really want to go the other way and are starting to go the other way. You need to actually act upon what you're beginning to understand. And I know I repeat myself on some of these things, but I'm always bringing in some additional information so that you uh, 
begin to understand. And because there's not very many people out there who are actually teaching it like it is. You know, if you read Black's Law Dictionary, 5th edition, page 208, assess to equate trust. What the heck is that? Assess to equate trust. That's actually kind of French reference there, which is just going back to the original Latin. He who has a right to a beneficial interest in and out of an estate, the legal title to which is vested in another. Okay, somebody has the beneficial interest in a thing, uh, a part of an estate, and you have the legal title. So the beneficial interest is actually go, belongs to the one holding equitable title. And it says later in that definition, the person who possesses the equitable right to property and receives the profits and benefits of the estate but the legal title and possession, as well as the duty of defending the same, reside in another, which you can find on page 1353. Okay, what what they're they're talking about is where you're at today. You don't you have a legal title to your house, you have a legal title to your car, you have a legal title to your labor. You have a legal title to your children, a legal right to your children. You always talk about legal rights, my legal rights. Well, in a sesuiquet trust, you have the legal title, but you don't have the beneficial interest. In other words, somebody else is entitled to the profits of your house, the profits of your business, the profits of owning your car, the beneficial interest. Somebody else has the power over that. And that, of course, is why you have to pay property tax. If you don't pay the property tax, they take the property away from you because you don't own it. You have legal title. Legal title, by definition, does not include the beneficial interest. And we show you this in the book Covenants of the Gods in Law versus Legal. This is not a secret. It's, it, you know, it's not like there wasn't full disclosure. It's in the dictionary. Blacks, blacks third, blacks fourth, blacks fifth, blacks sixth. It's, it's, it's been published for years and years. There's thousands and thousands of copies of this all over the United States and all, all over the world. Legal title doesn't include the beneficial interest. So when you buy the legal title to something, you don't own it. The one holding the equitable title owns it. And that, in this case, is supposedly the state. But the state's bankrupt, so somebody else owns the state. So they own the beneficial interest. It's held as collateral. So therefore, in order to live in your house, you have to pay the debts, the beneficial interest. You see, in the kingdom of God, you own your land. You own the beneficial interest. But you're not there. You've left that. You know, it's kind of like Elvis has left the building. You have left the kingdom of God and gone like Cain, whoring after the city-state. And in the city-state, You don't own the beneficial interest of your land, your labor, your children. They belong to the state. This is how far you've gone while you were singing in your churches. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. Worse than it was in Egypt. Worse. And your your preachers aren't telling you that. They're saying, oh, you're saved because you think a thought. But you're not. 
you're workers of iniquity. You've gone whoring after the ways of Babylon, the ways of Nimrod, and the benefits of Nimrod. And you've sold yourself. You become the Nicolaitans, which God hates. The conquered people, conquered by your own lust, your own covetousness, just like Peter said. Through covetousness, they would make merchandise of you. You know, this, this is the way it is. You know, faith is trust. You've put everything in a trust. You didn't understand how it was working, but then again, you didn't really want to get educated. You went to public schools. You know, that's that's where you went. You know, and according to the law of nature and nature's God, the first absolute duty of an individual toward others is to do injury to no man. And where this might have happened to make good the damages. Well, the fact is you injure your neighbor all the time. You you force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. In a covetous system that is not cast up. So now you have to repent of that. And of course, that's what we're going to talk about in the next show. Is how you repent of that. And how you can turn this whole thing around. Because Moses did it, Christ did it, and if you follow their ways, you can be a part of doing it too. Of course, it's going to take a miracle, but we'll show you how that works next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Peace on your house. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, and we're in a, a second part in the discussion of the second part of a series of articles on religion. And we're, we were talking last time about trust and faith, and that because we put our faith in the ways of Babylon, we don't own ourselves, we don't own our children, we don't own our land. Somebody else has the right to rule over us. They have a right to take away from us. Take and take and take and take, including our children. And uh, we've gone completely out of the way of what was called the kingdom of God, which is the right to be ruled by God. We're ruled by men. We, we think we're 
we're free, but that's part of the delusion is to imagine that you're free when you're actually in bondage to the world. And you have not gone the ways of righteousness. And therefore, you have returned to that bondage. And one of the ways is they change the meaning of words. They change the meaning of word from uh, faith, hope, and charity to uh, something quite different from that. And uh, we, uh, we need to repent of that and go another way to operate in an entirely different way than the way that we have gone. And uh, that means we have to return to charity. We have to return to love. We have to return to the way that God originally intended us to operate as uh, people. We have to become self-governing. We have to become able to take care of the needs of one another without force. It's kind of a form of anarchy. Anarchy means without arche. Anarche. And arche has to do with a ruler who can exercise force. And, of course, that's what Jesus said to his apostles when he appointed unto them the kingdom. He said he was going to take it from the Pharisees. He was going to appoint it to his little flock. And then he says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. But he says, you're not to be like the governments of the other nations who exercise authority one over the other. You were to take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. You were to take care of one another through love. This is Christianity. But Christians today, as we've pointed out many times, aren't doing that. They're taking care of one another through applying to men who exercise authority one over the other. So they're not doing what Christ said. They're doing the opposite of what Christ said. And this has brought about their bondage. And now they, some people are feeling the sting of that and they want to go and return back to freedom, to liberty, under God, which is the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God. That's not going to happen overnight. If it did, most of you would die because most of you are not ready for that. So you have to repent and turn around and start seeking that. And this, of course, is what Jesus Christ was telling you to begin with. You know, he, he talks about the two sons. They're both told to go do something. And Christ told us to go do some things. And one son said he would, but he didn't. And another who said that he didn't want to, but he did. Which one was the real son? It's the one who was the doer. You see, in modern religion, say, we believe in Christ, we want to follow Christ, we want to make him our king. But in reality, on a day-to-day basis, they're making other men their king. And they're praying to other men for their benefits. They don't say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I actually started that by saying they don't say that. But actually, they do say that, but they just don't do that. Their daily bread comes from men who exercise authority. It doesn't come from the Father. It doesn't come by way of the Father, which is through faith, hope, and charity. It's, it's, I mean, this is a no-brainer. I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but slightly different direction. Now, here I'll give you another quote. The Lex Fundamentalis. Okay, and we're over here in... In Latin, 
lex fundamentalis of natural law is the duty of every man so far as in him lies to strive that the welfare of human society in general be secured and maintained. So, there, the word lex in this uh, statement is the, the Latin word that is often translated into the English word law. It isn't the only Latin word that's translated into law, and you'll see that in the uh, chapter on the covenants of the gods, law versus legal, uh, that there are two words in Latin that are both translated into the single English word law. Lex comes from lex legis, which means to bind. And jus juris is the other word, and that means what is just, right, and fair. But in this particular definition, it's saying lex fundamentalis, the fundamental lex, the fundamental bond of natural law. Now, natural law is not created by men. Natural law is what's natural. It's right reason. It's what is true. And we're all seeking to understand what that is. But, you know, you're endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights. But they base that on the fact that they believe that there is a law of nature and nature's God that has set everything into motion, has set parameters in which legal systems are created. And it, it's the duty of every man, so far as in him lies, to strive that the welfare of human society in general be secured and maintained. But how? In what manner? And of course, that manner in which we decide to do that, we call government. So, if you were doing that through free will offerings to your church... And your ministers were actually serving the people. You know, they have these religious services where they sing and they they recite things out of the Bible. And they say, well, that service was good. But that there was actually no services provided except for the service of strengthening your delusion. They didn't feed the poor. They didn't take care of the needy. They didn't ask you, is everybody okay? Did They didn't lay hands on the sick. They didn't have any of those services. They just, uh, it was all about what you think because they've reduced religion to what you think and what you feel and not what you do, you see. But the lex fundamentalis of the natural law is your duty. And so therefore, religion is also your duty to God and your fellow man. To secure their rights, their life, their liberties, their pursuit of happiness. And that is government. Now how, again, that's what the church is supposed to be doing. Providing that as a matter of government. Now actually, I was quoting Pufendorf there uh, in his book on the duty of man and citizens. You know, and, and we quote that in the article. But, this idea of this duty to God and your fellow man is really religion and not the province of civil government. It's the province of religion. 
it is the province of your personal faith, your personal choices, your personal actions. When you turn that power, that right to choose on how to do that, over to either an individual or a group of individuals, you are not following the ways of God. You are, you are giving up your inalienable right to choose, your responsibility to take care of the needy, and you're saying somebody else has the right to decide how to do that. You see, so now men should be governed by virtue, but they're not. They're usually governed by men. And so, you know, in the third part of this, we're going to talk about how men have changed the meaning of the word government to become synonymous with the state. And the, gov- the word government it isn't necessarily always synonymous with the state. If you are a self-governing people, if you are a virtuous people who are doing what is right in your own eyes and you being virtuous people, what is right in your own eyes is virtuous and right, then you are self-government. You are literally the government of the people for the people and by the people. And that was what the book, the Bible, was written to tell you about, is how to be the government of the people for the people and by the people. If you go back to Wycliffe's translation of the Bible, that's what it says in the introduction. That this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Now, unfortunately, people don't read the whole book. They don't understand. They don't put all the things together. And part of that is the meaning of words, which is why I write these articles, that word you use. They don't understand faith. They don't understand religion. They don't understand your duty. You see, you are not to oppress the stranger in your midst like Egypt is doing with that law that we mentioned in the last show where if you have a charity that asks for donations and you're not a government instituted charity you can be arrested and thrown into jail we're not far from that in America you've got to be a 501c3 determinationed letter charity or you could be accused of a crime. Now the reality is it's still on the books in the law today in America. Churches are automatically considered 501c3 even if they do not file a 1023 determination letter. They don't have to file that 1023 and they're automatically considered no qualification. Now The IRS has 14 elements that they look at to determine whether or not you are a church. But you don't uh, have to meet all of them. And most churches meet some of them. But really, that isn't really to be the driving force of the church. Although, the church should be aware of that. Because that's, you know, being aware of the world in which they live. But their driving force is, in my inconformity to the items that Christ listed off that the ministers must do. And most churches, most churches, the vast number of churches, do not meet what Christ said the church should be doing. They, they aren't doing what he said his ministers should be doing. They aren't being the government of God that's operating by perfect law of liberty through faith, open charity. They're not 
taking care of his sheep. They're not feeding his sheep. If they have any needs in their congregation, physical needs, like you see the first century church actually bringing out sacks of grain and bread to give to the people who needed it at charge. And that's what they came there. They came and they said, what we need, we, where we're falling short. And, they, and those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. They, they explained this way back in the first and second century church. Taking care of the daily ministration. But the modern church doesn't do that. The daily ministration comes up. They say, here, go to this government office. Yeah, this government office that is run by men who exercise authority one over the other. That we're not responsible for your temporal needs. We're only responsible for your spiritual needs. That's devoid of what Christ was saying. Christ fed people real bread. Real fishes. He fed them. And the modern church should be doing the same, but they're not. Because they're under this strong delusion that religion is just what you think and not fulfillment of that duty. So now, the province that used to be the church, the duties of the church are no longer maintained by the church. So therefore, the rights of the church are going to disappear. And they are disappearing. And people think, oh, it's because they're making us do this and they're making us do that. It's no, because you're not doing what Christ said to do. You're not doing what the early church was doing. This is why the, the, the world is in the mess. I'm not going to blame it on the government. The government's taking up your slack because the ministers are not being the church established by Jesus Christ. And why? It's because the elders in those churches, the men in those churches, the heads of families, that's what an elder was, just the head of a family. The elders in those churches aren't doing what Christ said. They're not following the ways of Christ. They're not loving one another. They don't care about their neighbor's rights as much as they care about their own. They don't care about their neighbor's life as much as their own. They got think and feel good religion down pretty good. Now, some men feel a hypocrisy when they go to church. Well, this is why. Because the churches are hypocritical. They say they're following Jesus. They, they use the name of Jesus, but they're taking it in vain because they're not doing what Jesus said. They're not feeding the sheep. They're not taking care of the needs of the sheep, which they always did before. But now they say, well, no, that's the government's job. And that's why the church, you know, if you look up in Black's Law Dictionary, the definition of the church is one form of government. That's what it says. It's established by Jesus Christ for His purposes and the promotion of His doctrines, which is faith, hope, and charity. Not coveting your neighbor's goods. Not going into debt. But paying your debt. But being strivers, diligent strivers, to be ruled by God and not ruled by men. Not making agreements with unbelievers. Isn't that the doctrines of Christ? But that's not what the doctrines of the modern church are. They've cut out the fact that the church was the kingdom of God, the government of God on earth. 
And if you did what Jesus said, it would lead to your eventual freedom and liberty under God. And it did, as Rome fell. But the modern church doesn't do that. They've got, I mean, such convoluted theologies and eschatologies that it gives me lots of subject matter to talk about. But it's leading you down that primrose path, that yellow brick road to destruction. And most of society has gone that way. They've gone out of the ways of Christ. They've gone out of the presence of God. They say God doesn't exist. They say that the, you know that you're. They don't let you wear your crucifixes around your neck in in schools now because they want freedom from religion. And people say, well, we want our right to, you know, read the Bible in school, and we want the right to carry our crucifixes in school, and we want the right to say prayers in school. Well, you don't get it. Because you're not supposed to be in that school. Because you don't have a right to covet your neighbor's goods in order to get free education for your children. And don't give me that you paid in thing, because you don't pay in enough to pay for that education. You shouldn't be sending your kids to those schools. And a lot of you, you can't help it. Uh, Because you can't afford to do it any other way, or you think you can't. Well, that's because you're not coming together in the name of Christ in your churches. You should be coming together in the name of Christ. Now, I don't want you to start a church and then create a public school with a public school curriculum in your local church. And say, well, we're a private education but we're going to teach our kids all the same things because I don't care if you teach something about Christ in your private schools. If you're using public school curriculum, you're brainwashing your children because I have not seen a public school curriculum out there that is honest about history. Not a single one. Not a single one. And I've been collecting school books for 40 years. What? Because we taught our kids at home. And I was always picking up... I've got school books for the whole century. And there's a shift in the thinking. And part of it is this definition of words thing. But part of it is they believe in another God. They believe in another way. That is not the ways of Christ. And most of you Christians believe in it too. That's why you've accepted the idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of government. You know, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about in part three, is that who created the state? I mean, who created the first city-state? Wasn't it Cain? Didn't Nimrod try to make it even bigger? More important, encompassing every aspect, even competing with God and heaven. And that, of course, is what you're doing. You see, a hundred years ago, welfare in this country was taken care of by the church. But now it's taken care of by the state, and the state wields a sword. You're not getting away from being the church established by Christ because you go and apply for 501c3 status with a 1023. You've already gotten away from Christ. That's just the natural course of events. 
Because you aren't doing what Christ said to do. Our fellow men promote as far as possible the advantages of others. This list that's, you know, in Pufendorf's definition of our fundamental law of the natural law, the fundamental binding agent of the natural law. Uh, this itemization is the absolute duties of the individual to his equals. There, at least from the point of view of Pufendorf, there are also conditional duties which arise from the engagement or agreements for, from the mere use of language, oaths, and acquisition of ownership and bona fide ownership, to contracts, to the dissolution of obligations of which agreements have been made, and to the method of interpretation of those agreements and laws. All these things, however, as stated, are treated only from the standpoint of the individual in his relationship to these things. However, as stated and treated only from that standpoint, other individuals, or rather to society, the state even, or even the association of states, uh, we hear nothing. So, this original idea of being bound in this state thing doesn't come about simply because of these individual agreements. These individual engagements and agreements. It's when you create a state with like a constitution and then you start making agreements with that, then that binds you. And why do you make those agreements? For benefits. For gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And this now you're giving the state the power in... This is how you become this one purse that runs towards evil. You give the state the power to take away from all the members of the state, which includes you, in order to provide you with benefits. When the government, the state government, let's add that modifier, the state government, gets into the business of social welfare for the individual, liberty is going to be destroyed. It's just not going to exist. It's just going to go away. Men who seek power will seek office and they will rule over you. And they will take and take and take and take and take and take and take. Which is what God warned you about in the Bible. Which is what, if you go read Common Sense by Thomas Paine, he quotes that whole thing in Samuel 8. He's quoting the Bible in common sense because the Bible is full of common sense as long as you don't get lost in the symbols. That's how they unmoor you from the virtue that is expressed in the Bible. You know, I mean, just recently I was giving lessons on the subject of, you know, it mentions unicorns in the Bible. Oh my gosh. That's the Bible. If we're going to use the Bible... And it's talking about unicorns. There is no unicorns. Yeah, there is unicorns. You can go down and see unicorns in most zoos. Unicorns are rhinoceroses. That's a, there's a one-horned unicorn and there's a two-horned uh, unicorn, uh, which is not really called a unicorn, but a, a binicorn. And 
both of them are mentioned in the Bible. And in great detail. You know, and that's what they're talking about. But you change the meaning of unicorn to mean a mythical horse with a single horn on its head, which it did not mean that in, if you look it up in an 1828 dictionary, or even earlier dictionaries, you'll see that, uh, that the, a unicorn was a rhinoceros. That's, that's what it is. And once you understand that and you read those words in context, they make absolute perfect sense. And, you know, and you hear other, and we also did a little course on, you know, the two, two different bloodlines. And I, I was mistaught that originally. You know, I, I was told that, you know, one is the, uh, the lineage of Mary and the other one is the lineage of Joseph. <laughs> no. They're both the lineage of Joseph. Both. Both are lineages of Joseph. One is based on Lex Fundamentalis, the natural father, and the other one is based on the legal father, based on Deuteronomy. And uh, I'm not going to go into all that now. But if you're uneducated and you think there's all these discrepancies, but once you begin to understand and start looking at the Bible through the eyes of Christ and what he was saying and what he was doing. But of course, you have to see the eyes of Christ. You have to see what he was really talking about. This is why Christ said, it's not flesh and blood that reveals this to you. Now, I use the Bible and I I show you and I make the connections and I fill in the gaps and I, I show you the history that nobody will teach you. But I know the the way you understand this is by divine revelation. Not by flesh and blood, but by our Father in Heaven. The quantum, spiritual, divine revelation of God awakens you to the simplicity of the Gospel. You cannot be in a free society and be giving the power to the state to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You simply will not be in a free society. And that is the transition that we've made over the last 100 years. We've gone from a society with free will offerings that take care of the needy of society to a society where there is no free will offerings. They're all forced offerings of men who exercise authority one over the other. And this is why your liberty is gone. And So the only way to get back to that liberty under God is to return to the ways of God, which is back to those free will offerings. And there is no better avenue than the church established by Jesus Christ. Now, I'll admit a lot of the Protestant churches are not properly organized according to the ways of Christ. But if you would just start doing that, Start taking care of the needs of your society, of your congregations, of your assemblies, through faith, hope, and charity. Just just talk to them about it, that we should be depending upon each other. We should be helping one another. Just baby steps in that direction. Start coming together and realize that the church was the social welfare system of Christ, based on faith, hope, and charity. Try that. And see how far you get. And you'll, you'll, you'll start back on the road, on the way 
to the kingdom of God. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about religion being the duty to God and our fellow man. And those duties are to care for one another. And if you go back to Pufendorf, and a lot of people don't even know who Pufendorf is, but even uh, other preachers I know who've written things on Romans 13, Alex, uh, not Alex Baldwin, Chuck Baldwin, uh, quotes Pufendorf in his book on Romans 13, which I disagree with. I, I understand where he's trying to go with that, but you should read our book on Romans 13, which is The Higher Liberty, and you'll see that it's even simpler. And you don't actually have to quote Pufendorf, although I don't mind quoting him, because he is a fundamental writer of law. And he, he lived during a period of time where there was this transition. You know, they, they were still toying with this divine right of kings, which was a promotion of King James, which we'll talk about in... Uh, in part three of this series. But he he shows a little bit of this transition. He was a pretty smart guy. Anyway, he talks about this duty of our fellow men to promote as far as possible the advantage of other fellow men. You know, we have to care about others as much as we care about ourselves. And that's our duty. And he has these itemization of absolute duties of the individual to other individuals. But the state's not even mentioned in any of this because the state is not a product of the natural law. None of these duties are associated with the state originally because the state didn't exist until Cain created the first city-state by going out of the presence of God and then suddenly finding a need for the state. You see, remember when Samuel talks about, you know, the voice of the people crying out and wanting to have a king, a state, you know, some sort of central leader, and it might be, you know, they might have had a Congress and a Sanhedrin and all those things, but they wanted this ruling body to make decisions for them. This creation of the state. God says, go ahead and give it to them. Go ahead and give it to them. Tell them what's going to happen. They're going to take and take and take and take and take. But, he says, the reason they're asking for this it's because they have already rejected me, which is what Cain had done. He went out of the presence of God and said, Oh my gosh, without God, I need the state. And then once you create the state, then you have the process of the state becoming more and more your God. And you see this with the progression in the Roman history. For 500 years, they had no emperor. They had no emperor that needed to say that I am God. I am the apotheos of our society. I am the ruling judge of our society. And you can go read our articles on that to understand that. But we won't get sidetracked because we only have a little bit left of this show. None of these duties that are these natural duties, these religious duties of caring for one another, are associated with the state. But when you start to associate them with the state, things change. Things change. You change. And you change because you start to associate these duties with the state. The foundation of liberty is established in a state of nature, what they call status naturalis, you know, wherein there was only a dependence upon God and society had not yet been constituted into a state. And this was prior Cain, prior Nimrod. So society and state are not the same thing. 
although they may merge by some of those same elements that Pupinor mentioned, the arise from engagements and agreements and even acquiescence. Imposing conditional duties upon the people. But it begins through the individual's consent or, like I said, acquiescence. But the word government is not synonymous with this state either. Government is a very general term. When men govern themselves in that state of nature, they have government. They have the government of the people for the people and by the people. But the more the people depend upon the state and look to the state and pray to the state and apply to the state for their daily bread, for their justice and righteousness, the more power they give to the state. They literally worship the state, you see, because this was the whole thing about Moses wanting to take the people out into the wilderness to worship God. Well, why couldn't they worship God there in Egypt? Because they were already worshiping the Pharaoh. They were serving the Pharaoh. They were paying homage to the Pharaoh. I mean, worship is about homage. 20% of everything they earned had to go to the state. And the state took care of their needs, fulfilled those duties to their fellow man. But this made Pharaoh more and more powerful until they knew not the ways of Joseph. And, of course, this is always the way it is. I mean, Saul was a great guy. You should listen to our show on the Saul syndrome. Because when Saul was a great guy, he was he was defending the weak and he was fighting for justice. But when you gave him power, power corrupts. And the more power you give them, the more corrupt they become. And the more corrupt they become, the more power they want. And the lazier you get and the more power you give them and the more corrupt they become and the more lazy you become. And it's an endless cycle. It's a spiraling cycle down to the destruction of society. Happened with Rome. Happened with Greece. Happened with the United States, New Zealand, Australia, England. It's happening right before your eyes. And your your choice is what part do you want to play? Do you want to get to be a part of an alternative system that is cast up or the one that is spiraling you down to destruction. And this is the choice we've always had. And the choice that we have often made wrongly. We we look at these terms and we misuse them so much that when I mention them again, if I mention government again, what did you just think? Did you think state? Or did you think kingdom of God? Did you think church? Taking care of the social welfare needs of the people in pure religion? You see, I always have to add these. Pure religion and then the religion you guys got. Because pure religion takes care of the needies unspotted by the world, the constitutional order and systems or government. That's the definition of that word in the Greek. According to theirs, that word is defined as government. It's translated world but so is the word aeon, translated world, and the word ekomene, translated world. But it means government. Unspotted by the government. You know, but Jesus so, God so loved the government, in other words, the people in the government, that he gave his only begotten son that they might be saved. In other words, reform their government back to the ways of God. 
which is free will offerings. And actually, you see Paul actually talking to the treasurer of Corinth, trying to convince him, you know, you guys should do this with free will offerings. You should go back to Faith, Open Charity. And the fact is, is society, there's elements of society that are wanting to take care, in America especially, there are still elements of society that want to take care of things through charity. But you know what? In all these charities that I see, some of these big ones, Robin Hood Charity and all these different charities, which I always thought was kind of an interesting name for a Robin Hood Charity, there's a spirit of socialism there. spirit of covetousness. They are taking over the charity and they're using these charitable institutions in egregious fashions. I mean, they, they are supporting an agenda and they're getting you to pay for it because you're giving to the wrong charities. But you feel like, I'm giving. It's good. You know, it's helping buy diapers for the poor. But it's a charity that weakens the people. You need to have a charitable institution that strengthens the people. And how do you do that to draw near the ways of Christ? And, you know, the word sacrifice in the Old Testament, which is this whole system of charity, you don't find the word charity in the Old Testament. You don't even find the word charity in, in the Gospels. They don't mention charity into Corinthians. But then I point out that, you know, the word that they translate into charity in Corinthians is the same word Jesus used over and over and over and over and over and over again. But they don't translate a charity when Jesus says it. They only translate a charity when Paul says it. <laughs> so, and no agenda there, no conspiracy there or anything, but the reality is the word love is the word charity. And it's just not love to force your neighbor to pay for your child's education. It's not love to force your neighbor to pay for your child's health care. It's not love to force your neighbor to pay for your abortion. But they think they they have a right to an abortion. And they want to force you to pay for their abortion. You see, you, there's only one issue on the abortion issue in civil government. People think they're going to solve the problem by extending their legal title civil relationship to the embryo. They think, well, then they'll protect the embryo. Well, then they'll own the embryo. <laughs> You guys don't know what you're talking about. You want the state to have the equitable title to the embryos of your daughter's wombs? They're going to mine them. They're doing it already. They're going to mine those wombs, whether your daughters like it or not. Right now, they have to do it by consent. But if you extend a legal status to the embryo, to the fetus. The state will hold the equitable title to the fetus. <laughs> That's not what you want. No, the question is, do they have the right to force you to pay for their abortion? Well, if you're going to force them to pay for your health care, they can force you to pay for their abortion. You see? Quid pro quo. There's a Latin phrase for you. You need to start taking care of the social welfare of your congregations through faith, hope, and charity. And you're a long ways from that. That's just one brick in the road to the kingdom of God. 
But you have to place it there. You have to make it because this is a the kingdom of God is a voluntary society. And that's where your freedom's at. You know, so how did you get over here into this other society? Well it's it's through social compacts. Social contracts. You know, the definition, the social contract agreement or covenant. This is the definition. I'm reading this right out of Columbia Encyclopedia. Columbia University, 1968, page 1983. Okay? So you got to whip open your Columbia Encyclopedia and we'll read this to you. Social contract. I was making sure I had the right place here. Yeah, social contract. Agreement or covenant by which men are said to have abandoned the state of nature. To form a society in which they now live. Remember that state of nature was where your rights are. Endowed by your creator. Endowed by nature and nature's God. With certain inalienable rights. Over there in the state of nature. That's the state you want to be a part of. To form a society in which they now live assumes, this this definition assumes that men at first lived in a state of anarchy where there was no society, no government, no organized coercion of the individual by the group. It assumes that. But the reality is, is that there was government. There was self-government. They did organize, but they self-organized themselves, like the early church on Pentecost, organized themselves into the tens, hundreds, and thousands that became the predominant form of government that survived the decline and fall of the Roman Empire throughout the empire, which you can go read about in the book, Thy Kingdom Comes. Although I, I know somebody who actually re- read the book and they were saying, does it say something about that in there? Uh, that these tens, they missed it. That we give examples in, in Italy and Germany and England, and they missed it. We even show them what they called these tens, hundreds, and thousands, and they missed it. And it wasn't new. That it was the same kind of thing that you see back in uh, uh, at the time of Christ amongst the Teutons and the Gauls, and you also see it if you go farther back to ancient Israel. This was self-government. They organized themselves, so they were organized. They just agreed to organize themselves, not by a compact contract and covenant. Their covenant was with God to care about one another, to love their neighbor as themselves, to not oppress the stranger in their midst. They became a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's not what you are today. But anyway, the definition goes on to say, by the social contract or covenant or agreement, Men had surrendered their natural liberties in order to enjoy the order and safety of the organized state. Now again, that phrase organized state, they're assuming that they could not be organized without force. And of course Christ is saying, no, you must be organized without force. You must be organized according to the perfect law of liberty. But that requires that you actually care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Which is, takes us back to loving thy neighbor as thyself, which both Moses, so all you Jews who aren't doing this, 
you are not following Moses, you're just as much of a hypocrite as all the Christians who are not following Christ who said the same thing. You don't love your neighbor. You force your neighbor. You have abandoned the state of nature. You've abandoned nature and nature's God. And you've gone out of the presence like Cain. And you formed your civil city-state where you force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You see how you've done this in every aspect of your life? And you wonder why you're not free? It's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. The state is a product of man. Any other state other than the state of nature. The state is a product of man, not of God. God didn't create the state. You did. You actually had to go out of the presence of God in order to do it. You had to reject God, like Samuel says. Like God says to Samuel, reject God in order to do it. But it's there. God allows it because he knows that it will eventually punish you for being so wicked as to reject him. And it will take and take and take and take and take. And it should take. I mean, the slothful in the ways of God should be under tribute. And you are. So, I'm just calling you to repentance. You know, that's why you don't see John the Baptist talked about over and over and over again. Aslan in that book, The Zealot, he says that, you know, they, they deleted everything about John the Baptist. And they just put a little bit in, but he was greater than Jesus was at the beginning. Certainly was at the beginning. And even Jesus says, there's no greater man than this guy. But they didn't delete it all. They said it all in the same few words. Take care of one another. Do charity. That's it. That's it. We can all go home now. But we got to go home and do it. Righteous men bear the fruits of righteous government. But because you've rejected God, you're not righteous men. You've not been seeking the righteousness of God. You've been seeking your false religions. And going to church to lull yourself to sleep. So that you can assume that you're saved. The government of men is the collective fruit of their souls. We can't change that by changing governments. You don't want to overthrow the government. You don't want to fight against that government. It is the collective fruit of your souls that has produced this. But I can tell you, now, most of you will not want to repent and turn around and go back to the ways of God. Evil men produce evil government. Write it down, okay? Righteous men bear the fruit of righteous government. You haven't been righteous. You haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which was the message of Jesus Christ. You've been seeking the kingdom of the church and self-righteousness, and it's the false church. It's the apostate church and your apostate faith. You know, if you go right back and read Matthew twenty-one forty-three, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. The kingdom of God and His righteousness, the fruits of righteousness. What is the evidence of faith? If faith is doing what you have a duty to do to God and your fellow man, evidence of that doing is evidence of that faith. And that's visible. We can see that. And I don't see that in your churches. Because your churches have not followed the ways of Christ, like the early church did. It's under this strong delusion. I'm sorry to be the one to have to break it to you. Actually, I'm not. But, you know, 
I begin this article with, the, you know, I'm not going to bother with the cliches like this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I hope it hurts you. I hurt, hope it hurts you all the way to repentance. That's what I pray for, that this strikes a very chord in your heart, that you have not been gathering together in the name of Christ. You've been gathering together in the name, in the game of a false Christ. According to the devil's definition of faith. Not according to the definition of faith in both Old and New Testaments. Not according to the definition of faith at the time that they wrote the Constitution. If you go back and you read uh, Bovier's, go read it. You know, it's in the article. Go read that. And when he saw the fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon. But leaves only. And said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. He gave that warning to the Pharisees. I give that warning to you, false Christians. You have followed the ways of the Pharisees. Your Corbin, your social welfare is that of the Pharisees. You just have to go look up that article on Corbin at hisholychurch.org and read it and find out what you've been missing. You have to start repenting, turn around, going back the other way. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which of the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt in a fervent heat. And we think, oh, well, that's nuclear. Except for that word element. It shows up all the time in the Bible. Galatians. It talks about, even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, the constitutional order and systems of government. Elements of the world and bondage. Same word, elements. But now, after that, ye have known God, or rather, known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? Same word. Where unto ye desire again to be in bondage? This is where you are. Go read Colossians 2.8. Go read Colossians 2.20. You'll see the same word elements in there. Rudiments. Elements. Beware lest any man spoil you. You've been spoiled. Repent. Turn around. Let's go back. Let's go back together. God bless. Until we meet again, may peace be upon your house, and God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.